It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic has returned to regular tournament action and he has won his 89th title subsequently in Tel Aviv, Israel. The first time uh, there's tennis in in Israel since 1996. Uh, Djokovic beating uh, Marin Cilic in the final, Roman Safiulin in the semifinal. Uh, Well, Joel, what does it say about Novak that he's three weeks off the tour, he can come back and he wins a title right away? Well, it just shows you how good his technique is, how well he plays and how um, dialed in he is and how comfortable he looked. And when I was watching, he looked very comfortable with his movement and his strokes. And it didn't seem like anyone was bringing any new um, tactics to try to beat him. They're just kind of very, uh, very businesslike for Novak. And he did it without dropping a set. And it is very reminiscent of somebody else who took some time off and then came back and won a 250. And there was some chatter about, you know, oh, it's just a 250. Yeah, but, you know, look at at what expectations were and look at how easy it is for these guys. Of course, I'm referring to Nadal at the start of the year when he won a 250 in Australia. Um, it, It just, it reminds you that they're in a class up here and anytime they want to, they can win one of these small tournaments. And it, it sort of outlines and underlines and highlights the divisions within tennis, the talent levels that we have. Yeah, I think that's right. And Djokovic didn't need to be at his best is kind of what it comes down to. Because I, I don't think he was. Um, but, you know, you beat Andujar and Pospisil and Safulin. And, and Chilich in the final, Chilich is the interesting one. He's had a really good year. Uh, I think he should be really proud of uh, everything he's done. I think he's hovering around like the 15-ish range in the race, and he's been good at all the majors. Uh, but I don't think Novak was his best, but he can still win in straight sets uh, against those guys. And and that that speaks to what you're saying, Amy, about, about the levels, in my opinion. Um, Joel, do, do you want to weigh in on, on the Chilich final or did you have something to add on this? Yeah, I just thought now when I've had Novak look exquisitely comfortable, it made me think like I was watching a practice match and they've probably practiced a few times. I realized, I noticed the uh, the Gorny-Venizovich connection because Gorn had coached Chilich when Chilich won the US Open. But I think it was an easy problem for Novak to solve and Chilich is the best of the opponents Novak played. And the others were, I mean, these aren't even quite, the, we're not even talking the, the Schwartzmans or the ascending Tiafo. We're talking about some guys who are not that half the ranks, are obviously world-class players, but Novak, I think, seemed extremely comfortable, like just fine. And and I think indoors helps, comfortable environment. And uh, is again, it just, like Amy said, it just shows how good he is and how much far he stands apart, regardless of how much he's played. By the well, they, way, uh, Chilich is 16 in the race. He's currently ranked 14th. 
There you go. So he's having a, a yeah. Resurgent it was a quality year. win. It was a quality win for Novak. Yeah. Head to head's pretty dominant um, for for Novak there. I know. And you know, you think about that head to head, and th- this is what I found interesting. You look at you know the second serve points in the rallies. You know that Novak is going to have the advantage there, right? It's just kind of a given. What about the first serve points? Chilich has a bigger serve. He's a serve plus one guy, huge baseline power, an incredible amount of aggression, um, really uh, high on the leaderboard for holds rate in the top 50. That was where Djokovic had the biggest advantage, though, of them all because Novak won 89% of his first serve points, and Chilich won like 71%. So even in Chilich's best area, this is kind of what I'm getting at. The first serve points, the zero through four shot rallies on a speedy indoor hard court. Novak's even better there. That's mm-hmm. supposed to be Chilich's strength. Well, well, against most players it is. And yet now he's playing Novak. It's a whole different deal. I mean, he's, he's good. He's beefing up his GPA and these other courses. And now he's coming against a guy who's one of the best returners ever. One of the best, maybe the best mover ever. Another guy who backs up. I mean, Novak's ability to back up his first serve is just tremendous. Tremendous. So. Yeah. And Novak is a far superior returner. So if you're comparing, you know, first serve stats, I think Novak is, is going to best him there just because it's going to be harder for Marin to get free points off of Novak but um I was a little concerned about the wrist going in and I really didn't see anything like that um I think I don't care if you're the jolly green giant and you're serving just lights out um you're still gonna have a tough day against Novak I mean he's just that good and and the only way that you're gonna make some headway is on a really slow surface on a really slow surface mm-hmm. against because because you're going to serve and you're going to have time how I, if if you're chillich though you might want you probably want the speed but in general i agree yes yes that's true that's true um I I guess it's an interesting sort of balancing act, but <laughs> Novak is playing so well in all aspects of the game that it's hard to say where he would dominate you. Um, it's just strange to me that he is not the number one player in the world right now, because in my view, after watching him in this tournament, he's the number one player in the world. But we've got a tournament right now that will certainly put him to the test. So um, we can see if that that backs up my supposition. Well, this would be a whole different kind of week. I mean, the depth of this field is way different this 500 event that is being played it's quite a field of healing Novak is seated fourth there three other guys ahead of him in the seeds yeah you know it's amazing I'm looking at Djokovic's uh top 10 record in 2022 uh because I was curious um about the big wins right um he's only played six matches against top 10 players all of them on clay so we are in October, and Djokovic hasn't played a top 10 player on a hard court. 
or grass. That's mind That's blowing. Weird. Now, now Curios is one. All right, Wimbledon final, Curios. I mean, he is a top ten player on grass. There's no question about that. But he technically he's not. So, uh, I mean, the best player in the world question. I, I actually, I'm not so sure right now. I don't know that he has proven that that there's separation. Uh, he just needs to show show it that there's separation between him and, um, you know, it's weird. There's a jumble of players right now. I mean, I guess he needs to show separation between him, uh, Nadal, and Alcaraz mostly. Medvedev oh, looks way off. Ma- the other winners of majors. The other yeah. winners of majors this year. I mean, one guy who won two of them, who it may not – it's going to be one of these odd years because – there's a good chance the guy who wins two majors more than anyone is not going to be number one in the rankings. Right. And then the guy who won Wimbledon might not even be in the top five in the rankings. Yep. So it's just a strange year for all sorts of reasons. So it's, it's a strange thing to think about, but it'll be interesting to see how this week is for Novak. And I'm curious about the wrist also, and, and some much thicker competition, much deeper draw. Yeah. And I know I said earlier in the show that, I don't think Novak was fully his best and he still was able to win. Uh, just to like be specific on it, uh, I thought like one, one area was the second serve, which was really, really slow. And we know that when Novak's kind of feeling it, feeling comfortable on the second serve, he, he hits it quite hard. 90s, potentially even triple digits at times. And there were a couple of Australian Opens where he was averaging like uh, a ludicrous like 108. Uh, he was down in the low 80s in Tel Aviv and double faulting sometimes. So I don't think he's had the feel on that. And then I also thought against Safulin and Chilich, his arm just got a little bit tight when he got closer to the finish line, which we know more matches and that kind of goes away. So I think there's plenty to build on as he as he comes into Tel Aviv. And based on, on that, uh, I think it's a really good thing that he's played Tel Aviv. So before we move on, this is a scheduling decision for Novak, Amy. Do you like it? Yeah, why not? I think he should go ahead and play as much as he has an appetite to play right now. And I like it from a points earning standpoint because he wants to stay in a position where he's in the top four for seating purposes so that he can, you know, have easier draws and things like that. And and life just gets much easier. So I do like it. Joel Djokovic doesn't play a lot of 250s. Belgrade, usually. That's it. What do you make of this one? Well, this was just a chance to get more match reps. I mean, look, he, he went from, he played Tel Aviv. He hadn't played a sanctioned tournament. Well, okay, Labor Cup, as it were. But a tournament since Wimbledon. So it's just a strange year for him. This whole competitive gap. That's usually quite filled. I mean, that North American hardcore season is pretty rigorous and demanding. I mean, that's usually a good 10 or 15 matches for Novak on hardcourts. And yep. this year, not wants to get more match play, wants to, likes playing, enjoys competing. Uh, and now he's playing a second straight week. He's going to be playing in, in Kazakhstan. So that's, that's interesting too. Again, I also again. like it from an ambassador sort of standpoint because Tel Aviv got this contract and 
it feels good and it feels right to have tennis in some parts of the world and some countries where it hasn't been in a very long time. And for Novak to come there, it really shined a spotlight on it. So I thought that was great. And in keeping with his role as sort of an ambassador for tennis. Great. Agreed. Yep. Well said. And uh, unfortunately, his doubles partner, Yoni Ehrlich, Jonathan Ehrlich, uh, had to withdraw. So we didn't get to see something we were looking forward to was Djokovic and Ehrlich in the doubles. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what happened, but I know they went out on court and addressed the fans. That was unfortunate. Uh, moving on to um, Astana, ATP 500 level event in Kazakhstan in the capital, which they've changed the name from Nur Sultan to Astana, like literally a couple months ago. So it's like, okay, um, we're going to change the name back to Astana. It was Astana. Before yes. Was yes. Yeah, yeah. So I should say that anyway, Djokovic first round against Christian Garin, uh, the top seed in his section is Marin Cilic could get a rematch of, uh, Djokovic Cilic potentially. Uh, but this is a loaded field. Uh, you, you have Alcaraz, you have Tsitsipas, you have Daniil Medvedev. It's pretty much everyone. You have Felix, uh, mostly everyone who you would want in a field at the moment is, is there which is uh which is interesting except for casper rude it's rude in tokyo uh i don't know check. where he... i will check yeah okay he is he's okay. the top seed in tokyo okay um yeah so and and you know you would want curios at your tournament but true that's uh it, it's loaded it is a load and to have that in kazakhstan in October is really like, wow, because I, I wrote a story about the geopolitical scene right now. Um, you know, there's a huge influx of Russians going into Kazakhstan right now. In fact, they're having trouble, you know, placing these people and dealing with it um, because of Putin um, calling up more draftees, troops for his uh, Ukrainian invasion campaign. So um, they're right in the middle of it. This, this city is right in the middle of these tensions. And, and Kazakhstan, it borders China, it borders Russia, among other countries. So it's like right in the thick of all of this. And um, so it's really interesting that they would have this loaded field there. And uh, it's kind of like, tense on the outside but in the inside some really amazing tennis so hopefully it, it will provide like an escape for people there um while while these crazy things are happening in the world yeah it's some good time i'm curious to see how novak plays two weeks in a row how i mean he played labor cup how he played in tel aviv now here i'll be interested to see how he continues carries on i wouldn't be surprised if he won this tournament too but it'd be neat to see him, let's say, play Alcaraz in the in the final. In the I guess that would be a final. That's right. They're in opposite halves. I, that's yeah. the match I'd like to. I'd love to see. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants that before the end of the year. It's no. Yeah. It's no secret. Everyone yeah. wants that. Um, I'm fascinated to to continue to follow Daniil Medvedev because uh, we know what he's capable of, and it um, the results have been way off the mark from 2019, 2020, 2021. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that continues through the end of the year. 
Um, and and Pass is a somewhat similar story. Hasn't really quite uh, looked fully right. So yeah, it's it's going to be exciting to see all of these guys uh, in the same draw again for the first time um, since the U.S. Open, except plus Novak now. Uh, good stuff. Well, Alcaraz has made uh, Medvedev look a little on the old yesterday's news front, both from energy, from excitement, from interest, from winning a U.S. Open title, and he, and also from a skill standpoint. And when the year started, think way back to the start of the year, and there's uh, there's Medvedev, two sets to love, two three love forty on Nadal, on his way mm -hmm. to winning a second straight major, and he's kind of Nadal kind of exposed some things about Medvedev. There, not just so much his competitiveness, which Nadal's done to everybody, as much as some of his skill limitations. And here comes Alcaraz, who's got a full range. Alcaraz is all these. He's got kick serves. He's got drop volleys. He's got angle volleys. He's got ground strokes. He's got speed. And Medvedev, you suddenly see, oh wait, he's been he's been covering up some weaknesses, be it the forehand, be it the front part of the court. It's interesting. So Medvedev is looking a little a little less than glamorous right now, at least as I see it. Little bit. I mean, he's not Alcaraz. That's all. Right. Uh, let's leave it at that. He's not Alcaraz, uh, but there might be some other things going on with him. Um, little hint uh, as we shift gears now to Rafael Nadal. And we, um, we've been wondering about what his schedule is going to look like for the rest of the year. News this week that he will play uh, South American exhibitions with Casper Ruud on um, December, not December, um, November 23rd, um, which is three days after the final day of the ATP finals in Turin, Italy. So I wonder if that's kind of a hint that Rafa is not saying goodbye to this 2022 season, because to me, it would be a little bit awkward for him to not play any competitive tennis for the rest of the year and then to play exhibitions the week after the season ends. Do you think that would be strange, Amy? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It wouldn't be strange, but it, I mean, it might be strange, but it might also be smart. Yeah. Because, you know, he really is still healing from his plethora of injuries and I doubt very much that he wants to play Turin. Um, he will hopefully, if all goes well, have a new baby. Um, it would surprise me if he did play Turin and then, you know, hop on a plane and go all the way to Latin America. Um, 
it's possible, I guess, but at this stage, you know, he can do whatever he wants. He's Rafael Nadal. So if that happens, I might be miffed at him if I'm the ATP, but he can kind of tell them, you know, who's boss. Yes, he can. And yet I think of Nadal and one of the things I so admire about him as do others is his sense of character and integrity and his sense of, you know, a certain kind of empathy. So I wonder how he and his, his team view the, the optics of, okay, we're not gonna play any ATP events. And then three days after the year end, we're gonna go to um, do this thing in South America and do some exhibitions. But then, then there's also the conundrum. Well, does he just play the year end? Because knowing Nadal, Nadal for his own personal sense of a tennis player, he doesn't like cramming. He doesn't like showing up to a big event not having played. So does that mean he has to back into it more and play another fall European indoor? And so I don't know, I, 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 can't, I don't quite see that, but I don't know how he feels about, uh, I'm not gonna play any tennis between the US Open, I'll just show up and turn to play that one. So I think we're gonna see some interesting things and you're absolutely right, Amy, he, he can do, he's Nadal and the ATP, that's just gonna have to live with that if he says that, but it is some intriguing optics about how Nadal is going about managing things to to be signing up for an exhibition that soon afterwards and, and doing that and with Rude. I, I wonder if it's in uh, I wonder if it's in South America, if there's a, a little uh, Del Potro MC aspect to it too, that's some part of that too. It's kind of funny. You know, I could see Del Potro becoming a tournament director for one of these events in South America, similar to the way Lopez has in, uh, in Madrid and so on. But so maybe there's part of that involved also. So I, I agree. I don't think there's any way Nadal just shows up in Turin for his first event since the U.S. Open. I, I just think that doesn't seem like something he would want to do, knowing that he probably wouldn't be giving himself a chance to actually do well at the year-end championships like that, an event that he has had enough struggles with uh, regardless. So, yeah, it's you're right. I mean, look, it's it's on an interesting timeline, of course, with his wife having a baby very, very soon. Um, I, I think either he needs to play events in the lead up to the ATP finals or he won't play it at all. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, if he doesn't play and then just goes to play these exhibitions, like, is it a little funky? Yes. Can anyone say anything about it? Not at all. Uh, it, it, you know, it, he doesn't owe anybody anything. Uh, from that standpoint. He just needs to do what's best for him. And I am thinking about uh, one thing. I don't know that I'm at liberty to say who this was, but it's a, a player who had a career-ending injury. I heard um, I heard her saying that she, um, she can play tennis fine unless it's a competitive match. She can literally go out and hit. She can practice. Everything is fine in all aspects of playing tennis. She just can't play a match or the injury is too much to bear. Suddenly, when it's competitive matches. So I, I would also say that Nadal can play an exhibition in South America, and it can be nowhere near the level of intensity and strain that an actual competitive tour-level match actually puts on him. Well, this person you're mentioning that's talking about engaging in cooperative hitting forms, so it's a co which is different than a, than a competitive match in a tournament, but an exhibition, I know what you mean about that because there are certain unstated things that players do in exhibitions, but at the same time, 
it's still going to be playing points. You're playing points. The thing this other player you mentioned talks about is the ability to kind of um, do cooperative ball striking, drills, rallying, etc. So I don't know. Yeah, exhibitions obviously less taxing than tournament, less taxing than playing, um, you know, Taylor Fritz in the second round of the Paris indoors. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's just, I think there's a big difference in terms of there uh, is. Right. There I is. mean, so what, what was the Nadal doesn't want Nadal wouldn't want to put on an exhibition where he played a match and didn't look like he was trying, even if he might be not right. Yeah, but I just think it's pretty easy for him to, you know, entertain the fans, make the tennis look good. If he serves one fifteen, uh, or let let me go even lower actually. If he serves one ten instead of one twenty, it's right. fine. But in an exhibition he's going to be serving 110 potentially because he doesn't want to mess with uh, the ab or whatever it be. Just this is a hypothetical. That's Whereas it. if he needs to play a real match, he might need to hit 118 in order to be competitive. Or you let the other guy have a winner. You let him showcase his skills a little bit. and Maybe you don't go all out on every single point. Um, this goes back to the ambassador role that the big three do that I was just talking about with Novak. And it's great for tennis that Rafa's there and, and that people will get to see him play tennis. That will bring so much joy to so many people that in the big picture, um, it's just great that he's going. And who cares if he misses Turin and does this? Unless he doesn't go because um, they right now it's scheduled, but you never know what's going to happen. Um, I agree, though. Um, yeah, and if you're in, like, Rafa's shoes as a, as a, or a, a business partner, you don't really, there's, like, no time to get this stuff done, right? You have, like, a one-month window. You don't want to do it right before the season because you need to train. So one week after the season, two weeks after the season, that's your time to do the exhibition. Uh, after that, it's it's over. So we gotta we gotta have calendar reform in tennis. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we can do that. We can talk about that another show. But um, the all the players, not just people like Nadal, but all players need to have the opportunity to do some of these exhibitions and, and to have some downtime and to work on things on the practice court. Um, and there's just not enough time right now. Yeah. All, all that to say, like if Rafa didn't want to do an exhibition, he would, it would literally be delayed a year. <laughs> so you understand why there's a, a strong desire to get it in. And even if this isn't the most ideal timing, there's really no choices there. And yeah, we'll talk about uh, calendar reform as a common thread that always comes up. Uh, no Federer this week, but uh, next show, we are going to get into Roger and the next phase of his uh, post-playing career and what we might uh, see out of him in, in various or on various levels. Djokovic and Astana. Looking forward to that. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.